Good morning, family. So great to see you this morning and to just experience this just wonderful place of just filled with the presence of the Lord and just such a bigness of the Lord. Don't you feel the Lord is big, man? Hey, He is such a good God. It's amazing. I think it's the most dangerous song you can sing while you're taking up an offering is you have no rival, you have no equal, so that nothing else rivals for, with you for how we spend our money. Did you pick that part up? That's quite a, quite a dangerous thing. Before I get to share the word this morning, I want to just read a statement that I've prepared for you around our support and hosting of the Global Leadership Summit this year. Over the recent years, we have all become aware of the devastating effect that the abuse of, abuse, that abuse of authority is having on people worldwide. In the light of the recent allegations made in this regard against Bill Hybels, the founder of the Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago, this really has alerted the Hatfield leadership to recognize there is much work to be done in ensuring our churches are safe places for all our people in which to work and to worship. The annual Global Leadership Summit, which we have hosted for a number of years now, is produced by the Willow Creek Association, a separate organization that associated with the Willow Creek Church. Although Bill Hybels took accelerated retirement in April and has been removed from all involvement in Willow Creek Community Church, Willow Creek Association, and the GLS, we as a leadership still felt it necessary to consider whether we should continue to host the GLS. Uh, we reflected on this in, as an executive team and as an eldership and prayerfully sought the Lord's direction in this matter. We concluded that the GLS has been a significant tool for kingdom advancement in many parts of the world and a powerful catalyst for church unity in our own city even. We have always hosted the summit as a means to serve the wider church in our city and we do not want to give up ground that has been hard fought for. We recognize women and, vict and the victims of, behavior, uh, of abusive behavior for their courage in helping the global church grow in greater awareness around these and related issues. We have been challenged to a higher standard that being a Christ follower requires of us. Abuse of power is prevalent, as can be observed by ever-increasing violence targeted towards women specifically. Further, substantiated by the South African Police Service's recent crime statistics that was released in September. Whether as domestic abuse, sexual assault, or harassment in the workplace, we are confronted with this issue in our everyday lives, and it ranges from the sad to the horrendous. More needs to be done, and sadly, our society offers little or no protection or recourse to justice. We are clear as a church and as a leadership about our condemnation of the abuse of power and seek to be part of the conversation and learning to require, require to eradicate this from our country and our society. We further also, as we considered our hosting of the event, remembered just our own recent history with some of the difficulties that we experienced here at Hatfield, and we were reminded of how precious it was to us that many people of our friends didn't disassociate with us in a time of difficulty, but stood with us and supported us and embraced us during our time of struggle. With due consideration of the above and in the light of how with humility and sincerity, the organizers of the GLS have already made a clear and uncompromising statement regarding uh, gender-based violence and the abuse of power in their opening address to the summit. We felt led by the Lord to continue to host the GLS this year. 
We trust this action will show our support to others in the kingdom family who are going through painful times and that our church will seek to be relevant in the wider learning required to deal scripturally with abusive power, particularly that within the Christian community. We ask that as a church we stand together in this time, not only to face these issues in our world, but in this way that we stand together and host the GLS this year and welcome our wider Christian community and our family into this space and come and love them as we've always done and you've always been so great at hosting with all the volunteers we've had and the people that have supported this and may we this year do it again and but stand in a, even a higher mark of our excellence in the Lord Jesus and our faith and hope in the truth of the gospel. So we ask that you please support us as we will from now on, you will see the advertising going up for the GLS and we will be preparing for it. It only happens in November, but we wanted you to be just aware of our decision and why we are supporting it because some of you may be in spaces where people ask you these questions. And please understand therefore that for us, it is a way to be part of this conversation and to learn and to grow and how we deal with the abuse of power. So thank you for your support in that. Amen. Can we switch gears and go over into the wonderful sharing of the word this morning and the title of the message that I have this morning? Although you've been actually singing my message, I uh, want to still unpack it with you a little bit and then really step into a space where we, where we just celebrate what I've entitled this morning, the extraordinary word, the extraordinary word. Have you ever noticed that whenever you go into a building, even sometimes into people's homes, there's words written on the door. Have you noticed that? That tells you how to behave and what to expect and what's gonna, you know, what to do within that space that you are entering into. I think of the hospital close to us, one of the private hospitals. When you enter the hospital, there's a sign that says something to this. I, I may have got the wording wrong, but it says something like this, silence heals. And it encourages you that when you go into the hospital to remember that a hospital is a place of care and of healing for people. And it really helps if you're just a little bit quiet and respectful of that space and don't make a, a lot of noise. So when you step in, you step in under that word that was written there. You know, I've stayed in that hospital once or twice and, and I sometimes wonder if the staff that work there actually read those words. Because four o'clock in the morning, they don't seem to be so quiet. Uh, you know, when you're trying to sleep. But wherever we go, we live under words. When you came in here this morning, you may not have noticed it, but there are many words written that try and encourage and create for you the space about what this is about. So you, whenever you read on the walls, there'll be scriptures or words of encouragement. There will be words of strengthening, but you'll see the scripture all over. And that's to communicate to you that you're stepping into a place where we revere the word of God. Another word that you hopefully experienced as you came in is the word welcome. That you felt welcome, that you felt that you, this is a place that is here for you, that you can participate, you can enjoy. Those are the words that you experience. Every one of us, every day, live under the word. Everywhere we go, word impacts our lives. In the society we live in, there are many words that have been spoken over time that actually shape how we view the world, how we live as people in this time and in, and in this place. Every single person alive lives under some form of word, lives under word. 
Sometimes that is because we live under certain philosophies, certain teachings, certain doctrines, certain religious understandings, certain scientific uh, awareness that we may have, or whatever it may be, but we all have word that shape our lives and determine how we live. We all are followers of something. Every single person that walks on this earth is a follower of some form of word. Every person. Therefore, I can almost, in a biblical term, say every person that walks this planet is a disciple. They follow some form of word. They follow something that they ascribe higher authority to. Something that they say, this, this has authority in my life. I mean, if you go to the doctor uh, during this week, and you go and sit with the doctor, and they do some tests on you, and the doctor comes back, and he speaks words to you, those words have meaning and have authority, because you ascribe to them certain meaning and authority, because you look at this, the diplomas on the wall, you perhaps know the doctor, perhaps the doctor's been referred to you, and because of some established authority that they have, when they speak the words, you don't just go, okay. It requires something from you. It impacts your life because it is a word that you ascribe importance to. And we all do that. We ascribe to certain things. We ascribe authority. And we even put things in the place of, of where we hold it to be sacred. In our society, even non-religious people have sacred word. Things that they say, this is absolutely what we believe. This is what we hold to. These are the things that determines how we live in our society. So if you live in a westernized society, there's certain word that forms and shapes how we live in that society. If you live in a, in a more traditional African society, there's word that determines how life happens and works in that society. In our country, it's this makeup of a whole lot of different doctrines and teachings and history and heritage that all comes together that forms the word under which we live by. One of the significant words of our time came about when it was coined by a guy by the name of Ralph Waldo Emerson that wrote an essay in 1841. And he said this in his essay. He said, his, his essay was entitled Self-Reliance. No law can be sacred to me but that of my nature. Good and bad are but names very readily transferable to that or this. The only right is what is after my constitution. The only wrong is what against it, what is against it. Today we live in the natural outflow of those words that he said. He basically said that there is no overriding right or wrong, but that right and wrong is that which a person believes to be right or wrong. That it is your conscience that is the highest authority. The word under which we live is the word of our own conscience. Only things that are wrong is that which I do against my conscience. Only things that are right is that what I do which aligns with my conscience. My conscience has become the determining factor of what is the word of truth. And it is therefore in our culture that you'll often hear people say these following statements to one another. They will say to each other, just be true to yourself. You contain your truth. You are the carrier of truth. Truth is determined by you and your heart and your conscience. So if you want to live in truth, just be true to yourself. What you believe to be true may not be what another person believes to be true, but be true to yourself. 
The highest way you can live in many of our cultural instruments will tell you is if you are true to yourself. Another way we encourage one another with this word is we say, live your truth. Live your truth. We, we celebrate and we, and we make heroes of people that are standing out and living what they consider to be their truth. Live your truth. We have democratized truth. We have individualized truth. We have made truth that which I believe. We recently saw the situation that happened with Serena Williams when in the US Open final, she, she just lost her temper. Now, I don't want to make judgments on, on the right and the wrong of that. Just to say this, that this, in CNN, there was an article on the website that they wrote, and it said the, the, the title of the article was this, Serena Williams is being punished for speaking her truth. You see, truth has become my truth. It's not whether it's the truth anymore that's important, it's whether it's your truth. We live in this world where your truth matters. We've let go of a feeling or a, or a desire or a, even a possibility that there is the truth. We just believe in our truth. My truth. Truth has been individualized. I have become the holder of truth. My truth is established by my experience. It is established by what I choose to believe. It is established by what I hold. That is truth. It's quite challenging to live that way on a planet with almost 8 billion people. How can every one of the 8 billion people have their own truth? Somewhere along the line, it collides with one another. And we're wrestling with that as a society. But the underpinning word is that truth belongs to you. We, in a sense, stand up boldly in this time. And we say, I am the truth. I am the truth. Because truth belongs to me. It's my truth. Nobody else has a definitive word to say about what truth is. I am the truth. My experience, my reading, my understanding, my upbringing, my culture, my political affiliation, all of that means I am the truth. Truth is me. Now this puts us in a very difficult position. Because a man came and walked among us 2,000 years ago. And he said something which directly opposes that which we hold to be truth today. He said these words, I am the truth, the way, and the life. So here I stand and I may say, I am the truth. And he says, I am the truth. One of us is lying. One of us has got it wrong. Either he's wrong and he is not the truth, and we are right, and we are the truth. But he boldly stands up, even in our day, in 2018, he stands across the whole world, not just in South Africa, not just in Africa, not just in South America, but in every part of the world, he stands up and he says boldly, I am the truth. If you want to know truth, come to me, he says. And obviously, I'm speaking about Jesus Christ who was not just a man, but who was God, the very Son of God that came and walked among us, said, I am the truth. And this is the struggle of all eternity. This is the struggle of our time. Is these two truth claims 
that directly oppose one another. We live in a culture and a society that says we have the truth, we own the truth, and across from us stands a Christ that says, no, no, I am the truth. And we, we're at odds with each other. It is therefore that the scripture says, if you're not a friend of God, you're an enemy of God. You cannot be halfway between. You cannot, that's why the, in Revelation it says, if you were lukewarm, but because you, you're neither hot nor cold, because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because so many of us live in this world now, and we try and live in this in-between space of lukewarmness. We take some of the truth of Christ, and some of our own truth, and we think we're going to find a safe space to live in. But Jesus says, I am the truth. It is only in me that you will find the truth. So we do not agree with Mr. Emerson. We do not say that truth is mine and it's in my conscience. We say, no, truth comes from outside of me. Truth comes from another place. Truth is from elsewhere. We live in a world that says, no, no, if you're looking for truth, here, you'll find it. Here, among us, you'll find it. Through scientific endeavor, through, through applying our minds, through reason, we will find truth. And in that cultural flow, in that strong river that flows, a Christian community stands up and says, no, 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 no. You'll not find truth that way. You cannot find truth here. You must look up and you will find truth in Christ. And we are at odds with this world. We live from a different place of authority. J.A. Packer said the following, and I think we're going to put it on the screen, but you can just listen. His definition of what it means to be a Christian. What is a Christian? Christians can be described from many, from many angles. But it is clear that we can cover everything by saying true Christians are people who acknowledge and live under the word of God, written in the book of truth. Believing the teaching, trusting the promises, following the commands, their eyes are upon the God of the Bible as their father and the Christ of the Bible as their savior. A disciple is a, of Christ is a person that lives under the word of God. When I enter into this world, I look up and on the doorpost, I find the word of God, and that determines how I live in this world. Do you remember that the Jewish people had to have the word written? Because that's how we live our lives. We live our lives under the word of God. It is the highest determining factor for us is the word of God. We know that truth can be found in other places also. You can find truth in science. You can find truth in sociology, anthropology, psychology. You can find truth in any other thing. But what makes that truth that you find in those other things true is that it is consistent with the truth that we find in God. That is, we can stand. You see, we are uniquely positioned because we have and we say there is a truth. We can take any other form of Truth claim and say, is it true or is it not? Because we bring it back to that which is the scripture. Does somebody have a real Bible for me? I mean, by real, I mean not that my iPad Bible is not real, but it's not a hand feely Bible. Thank you very much. Thank you, Luis. We have a book that we make a very, very bold claim about as Christians. 
that we say, if you want to know how to live, if you want to know what truth is, this is where you come. It's contained in here. We hold this book cover to cover. Well, except for the publisher's notes, you know, and the, and the, and the right, copyright and those things. But, you know, the original scripture, we hold this to be true, all of it. Now, the people of our time look at us and they say, that is ridiculous. How can you hold up a book that is between 3,500 and 2,000 years old and say you live by this book? In a world that has advanced so much in technology, science has taught us so much. There are things contained in this, this book, they say, that, that is not undergirded by science anymore. How can you hold up a book like this and say, this is truth against all other things and which other people will point to and say, no, that is where you will find truth. We hold up this book and we say, this is where you'll find truth. And they go, you are ridiculous. You are ridiculous. How can you do that? This is an old, ancient book. It's a book that was written by about 40 people over a 1,500-year period that lived in many different nations under many different conditions, experiencing very different realities and dynamics. How can you say that that collection of writings from ancient times to times of the Roman Empire is truth? People say it's okay if you want to find some truth in it. It's okay if you want to read it and add it to your selection of places that you find some truth. There's some good lessons in here. There's some good, valuable you know, statements and, 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 and things that you can find. But, but the truth, really? How can you say this is the truth? How can you say that any other thing that you experience in this world, you will bring to this book and judge according to this book whether that is true or not? How can you do that? It's ridiculous. But that's yet what we claim. Or am I wrong? Is that what you and I believe as Christians? We believe in the inerrancy of the Scripture, that this is the inspired Word of God. Jesus said, oh sorry, of Jesus it was said in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. The darkness does not overcome it. In the beginning was the Word. How's that possible? If what I've just said was true, that this Word... Was written how long ago that they start writing it? About three and a half thousand years ago. Is that the beginning? No. So it doesn't mean the Bible was there from the beginning. Amen? Do you know that the Bible isn't a book that, ta-da, boom, fell out of heaven. It was written within our times and our history. But yet the scripture says in the beginning was the capital letter word. Who is that talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus said, you will know 
the truth. And the truth will set you free. Who was he talking about? What was he talking about? Was he talking about study the Bible and then you will be free? No, he was saying, let the Bible point you, bring you towards the truth. Let me ask you this. Every book has a main character. Every story has the central person about who that book is written. That we get to learn and know through the story of this book. Who is the central story? Who is the hero of this book? Jesus. Jesus. This book is not about you. Did you know that? This book is not even a handbook for your life. This book is not a rule book that tells you how you should live, firstly. Did you know that? You see, many people do that. When they come to the Bible, they look for how for themselves in the Bible. They look how to live their lives. They look how for their story. Now, you will find a lot about yourself in the Bible, but the Bible wasn't written about you. The Bible was written about Jesus. From Genesis 1, verse 1, to Revelations 21, if you look, you will find Jesus. He is the unifying factor of this diverse collection of writing. If you take Jesus out of this book, if you make this book not about Jesus, then it becomes a loose collection of great stories and history and poetry and, and, and psalming, psalms and, and, and just some genealogies and whatever. It becomes wonderful, but it's not one book. It's many. But when you put Christ in it, it becomes one book. Because he unifies it. He brings it together. He makes it about one thing. Because it's about him. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. What does Genesis tell us? That through him all things were made. He was the agent that God spoke and said, let us make. And God's word spoke. And it's the word that formed everything. This word, which is Christ. And then it speaks about how this world is coming to darkness. But the light shines into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. Some translation says cannot comprehend the light. Because there's darkness, but light, the word, is penetrating this darkness and liberating and setting us free. Christ is the Logos, the word by which we live. He does the same for our lives. Not only does he hold the scripture together, and isn't it amazing that the whole of scripture is divided, Old and New Testament, that which existed before Christ and that which existed after Christ. He's the center point of it. So he does with our lives. Your life is also unified in Christ. You see, without Jesus in your life, your life is just a collection of stories, of experiences, of things that happen to you. Just a random life. Just happened to be. Just luck, bad luck, good luck, happenstance is your life. But when you put Christ in your life, 
He's the unifying factor of your life also. Then everything in your life has meaning and reason and purpose. Have you ever seen a four-year-old or a three-year-old walking around with a parent and they're looking at things and they, and they see a beautiful flower and the four-year-old says, why is the flower red? And the parent answers, because red attracts bees. I don't know, but let's say. And the four-year-old will say, but why does red attract bees? Eventually, you follow the why questions and what comes at the end. Whatever. Just because it is so. I don't know. Have you, have you seen that? Par children have more questions than parents have answers. No matter how long you've lived, no matter what you know, you'll, you always come to that point where the why question ends in, I don't know, just because it is so. It is the same with our human experience. Whether I look at my own life or whether I look at the global human experience, I'm consistently asking the question, why? Why did this happen to me? Why am I going through this? Why did this happen in this nation? Why are we going through these things? Why is this the case? And the further you chase the why question, without Jesus, you'll come at a whatever, just because it is so. And that's basically what science tells us. It just is. Stop questioning it, just accept it. But do you know as a Christian, you can keep on asking why, because there is a reason for the why. That reason is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything in my life is a, finds its purpose and its unity in this, that Christ is at the center of everything. Not only is the Scripture the revelation of who Jesus is, but the Scripture tells us, history tells us about who Jesus is. If you look for Him, you will find Him. Your life, if you look for Him, you will find Him. Let me tell you a story that illustrates the point from Scripture. I'm not going to read it, but in John 13, Jesus calls His friends together, the disciples, and He says to them, come, we're going to spend a bit of time together because I've got to prepare you for a very difficult thing that's going to happen in our midst. So he hosts a dinner for them and, you know, washes their feet, has a great time with them, the Last Supper. And in, in our culture, it's probably, you know, around coffee time. When everybody's relaxed, everybody's had a good meal, they've laughed together, they're just sort of reclining. And in their custom, they would lie sort of on their sides with pillows, in a, with their feet, you know, sticking out of the circle, their heads basically sometimes resting on each other's full bellies or chests. And, and they were just lying relaxed like that. And Jesus changes the, mo the mood of the room. And he says, not all of you, but one of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to sell me to the highest bidder. One of you is going to hand me over to the authorities to be killed. Now, that sucked the joy out of the room. He didn't just say that it's going to happen to me. That would have been bad enough for them. But he said, one of you, one of these 12 around in this circle with me, Jesus says, one of us 13, our close-knit friend group that have journeyed together for three years, that have been through so much, one of us is going to betray us, stand against us. The disciples 
sort of look at one another puzzled. They go, no, how is this possible? Who could, how can this be? Peter looks over to John, the, the disciple that was closest to Jesus, not only in, in proximity because he was lying with his, chest on, his head on Jesus' chest, but also the one that seemingly was most often with Jesus and that knew a lot about what Jesus was, was doing. And he motions over to him, he gestures to him, he says, man, just ask him, what does he mean? What's it all about? And Jesus says these words, He who shared my bread has turned against me. Now when he spoke those words, those that understood in that room realized that Jesus is speaking from the past. Because he was quoting Psalm 41 verse 9. Where David said these exact words. David went through a tough time where his friends turned against him, where he was betrayed by those close to him, and he struggled, and he wrote Psalm 41 to, to, to speak out the words of what he was feeling. And he wrote these words, and he said, but he who shared my bread has turned against me. My very friends have turned against me. Now Jesus reaches into David's experience of the past, and he says, look that which David experienced. You may have thought it was about David, but let me tell you today, it was actually just a shadow of what I was going to experience. What is Jesus doing? He's giving purpose and reason to what David was experiencing. When David's friend turns against him, David may have felt like it was just my friends turning against me. You know, that's life. But Jesus is actually saying, no, no, no. It was much more than that. You were experiencing something of what I was experiencing, am experiencing. He was giving purpose to David's past. And the disciples went, wow, okay. So Jesus is not only for the present, but even the past makes sense in him. And then Jesus carries on and he says, but one of you will disown me. They asked who, and then he said, the one who I share the bread with, and he gave the bread to Judas. In another part of one of the other gospels, he says, he actually said that he will commit suicide. And I'm saying these things to you, Jesus says, so that when it happens, you will have hope. Even this difficult thing that was to happen in their future, this unimaginable thing, this thing that they would find so hard and ungodly, and how can God be in the midst of it? Jesus says, when it happens, you will know that I told you it was going to happen, so that even that horrible thing that happens, you will know that I was there in the midst of that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Your life has historic parts to it. If you find Jesus in that moment, you will find sense. He may not have caused, he definitely didn't cause many of your struggles. He, he didn't want you to go through those struggles. But how many of you know that every time you felt so, so bad and so hurt and so injured by life, that if you look carefully, you will find that Jesus was there with you in that moment. In that moment. Jesus was with David when his friends turned against him. Jesus is with you. When life turns against you. I cannot in any way of truth tell you that there's no difficult moments coming your way in the future. I can probably guarantee you that you will still experience. I know as preachers we love to say, you know, if you're in Jesus, everything's going to be wonderful. Because that fills the church. But unfortunately, it's not always true. Come on, how many of you know that You've been through some difficult times and there's some difficult possibilities still coming your way. 
But here Jesus says to the disciples, that moment when you feel that horrible pain, when your friend, your compatriot, falls from a tree and bursts open on the ground, having committed suicide, when you see that horrible moment, know that I am right there with you in that moment. I am with you. Because He is the Word. He is the Word. That's why in Hebrews 4, the writer of the Hebrews writes in verse 12, and he says, The Word is alive and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. You see, this book is dead if it is just a book. If this is just a book of stories about Israel and about how Israel came to pass and about their experiences in the desert, if this is just a storybook about Solomon and David, if this is just a storybook about Moses and Noah, if this is just a storybook about Jesus and how he walked the earth, if this is just a storybook, then it becomes at some point history and it will remain in history and it becomes irrelevant. And it cannot teach us. We can learn lessons from it, but it really doesn't have authority over us. But that's not what this book is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you diligently study the scriptures, yet you refuse to come to me for eternal life. Who this book, its authority is in, the, in, the, in that it is about the living Christ who is alive and within you. When I read this book, I'm reading the living record of the living God. And therefore, this book has authority. This book may not tell me everything I, that, about life, and, and that's true. I mean, there's lots of scientific endeavors that gives us truth. But everything in this book is true. And I can base my life on this book because when I base my life on this book, I'm not basing my life on a set of rules. I'm basing my life on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. This book is not for us to study so that we can find the laws of life. Sometimes people say that the best rules for living is to be found in the Beatitudes. If every person on this planet can live the Beatitudes, then our world will be so much better. That may be true, but can I tell you, you cannot do the Beatitudes without the one who spoke the Beatitudes. Because the Beatitudes is not the truth. Jesus is the truth. I live my life according to this book, not because I'm trying to get to Jesus, but because I'm responding to him. This morning when we sang and, and, and Gerben made you all jump up and down for those that were, he said was younger, that jumped up and down and pursue God. He said you must pursue because he's pursued you already. This is what the scripture does for us. It helps us to say Christ has been revealed to us. It is in him we live and move and have our being. So as I discover Christ, I learn how to respond to him. Otherwise, this is just a law. And then it becomes Pharisaism. It becomes death. But it is a living, living word. In Jesus, we have a reason for the past. The present gets illuminated. 
and we have hope for the future because of who Christ is. Psalm 40, the psalmist writes, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. He's saying that this truth that you and I walking in is not about outward rules. It's not about doing things. It's not about trying to live up to some standard and holding to some laws and rules. He says what makes us the people of God is not that we have a better rule book than the other people. It's not that we have a better you know, breakdown of life and better philosophies. He says, these are not the things. He says, but my ears you have opened. And in the original language, it literally means you have unblocked my ears. You have, you have emptied my ears out. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will. My God, your law is written within my heart. It is when through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that inspired the Scripture and the Holy Spirit that now lives within me, whom Jesus said will guide you into all truth. It is when the Holy Spirit takes this and makes it alive within me. This doesn't become the truth once it's alive in me. That's existentialism. This is the truth, but the truth becomes alive within me. And I change to fit in with the truth. Many people today, even Christians, Treat the truth as a buffet. They get a plate and they go walk around and they select and they choose portions of truth. They find a little bit of truth here, a little bit of truth in Deepak Chopra's writings, a little bit of truth in science journals, a little bit of truth in the Bible, a little bit of truth in their schooling, in their culture, in their political party. They find and then they build this plate for themselves. And they've got a lot of truth. And they say, this is my truth. And they go, sit down at the table of life. And they say, this is my truth. And then the next person comes and they've dished a different plate. And they say, oh, I like that you've got that. But I've got a little bit less of that and a little bit more of this. And this is my truth. And Christians even do it with the Bible. We say, yes, we're Christians because we include the Bible. And we include a little bit more of the Bible perhaps than other people do. You'll hear Christians say things like, oh, I've got my favorite scripture in the Bible. Now, now I want to challenge that. I know what people mean when they say that. I say, I've got a piece of scripture that really helped me through a difficult time. It's my favorite. But if you say my favorite bit of the Bible, what you're also saying is I've got not favorite bits of the Bible. Now, how many of you know we cannot do that? From Genesis 1 till Revelation 21, this is the truth. I take it all. It hurts, it cuts, it challenges, it comforts, it strengthens. I take it all. Because it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Sacrifice and offerings you did not require. If you come to church or if you come to this book and you're looking for the rules of life, you will find good things. You will find a lot of good. Your life will improve. But can I tell you, you will not find the truth until you find Christ. He is the truth. And He wants a relationship with you. He wants to live with you. He wants to share every moment with you. He wants to reveal to you the past of your life. He wants to illuminate your present and He wants to give you hope for the future because He is 
the living Christ. The last scripture I'll end with, Revelations 3 verse 10. Ah, Revelations. Ephesians 3 verse 10. His intent was now that through the church, how many of you are the church here this morning? Anybody? The church? Are you the church? If you're not sure, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, put up your hand and say, I'm the church. We together are the church. We're the gathered church. But we're also the scattered church. Church. That through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, the word of God, shall be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that, the, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Tomorrow when you go into this world, just living your life under the word of God, that's what a disciple is, I live my life under the word. Just submitting your life to the word of God, just saying, Lord, I don't, it's not my truth, it's your truth. I am not the truth, you are the truth. Just not opening your mouth, just living like that. You are challenging the authorities and the principalities of this world. You are in warfare. When you open your mouth, you are declaring this, that he is the reason for it all. The only purpose is found in Christ. I want us to finish this morning. I'd like you to stand with me. And we're going we're gonna to sing together. I think, shall we do what a beautiful name again? Or what, what do you think? Jesus at the center. Thank you. They've always got better ideas than I do. Can we declare this morning that it's all about Him? You may not know all the truth. You may still be journeying in the truth. That's okay. Because it's a person. It's a person. And when I study my scripture, when I study the Bible, when I work through it, when I, when I apply and meditate upon it, I discover Him. And He changes my heart. And this word moves from being something outside of me to being something inside of me. It changes what I want from life. I start living a different life. And when we worship like this, whether we use music, whether we use the scripture, whether we use just work, whatever, whenever we worship, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, you're the center of it all. So can we this morning as a community, as individuals, stand and proclaim that loud so that the manifold wisdom of God may be made known in the principalities and the powers of the air? That he is the one. Let's worship the Lord together in this last song. And then I'll end the service in a minute or two. Thank you, Mika. Jesus at the center of it all.
is here this morning and he's saying if you come and submit to me the truth I will give you the truth and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free it'll redeem your past it'll give you purpose and reason for past things it'll illuminate your present I will show you Jesus says what is happening in your life right now and what I'm doing and I will give you hope for the future. Lord, we just come before you this morning as your people. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you that you have shown us. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you that we can know you, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we can have a living relationship with you, Jesus. We embrace you, Lord, and we want to be those people that live under your word, Lord. And I pray that each of us, Lord, that whatever we're struggling, whatever the darkness is that is around us, thank you, Lord, that the light has come and the darkness cannot overcome it. That your light is shining in our hearts and in our lives and that you, through your light, are revealing purpose and plan and revealing your pattern to us, Lord, in this time. Thank you, Lord. That we can rest in you. We can rest in you, Lord. I want to encourage you this morning. If It would be great if we could pray with you. If, you. if you need a prayer, perhaps there's something from your past where you're saying, there's this thing that happened and I let Jesus come and bring you freedom and healing and deliverance from that. Even when you can't understand the reason for it, He can give you freedom. Perhaps you're going through something right now. Let Jesus come and be the truth. It may even be that you've got fear for the future. Come and find your rest in Him. If you've never submitted your life to Jesus, it's very easy. Just come forward and let us pray with you and you just make that decision. And let the living Christ come and dwell within your heart and through the living Word start transforming you into His image. But I pray for you that as you go from this place, that you will be the church. That through all of us, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known. This manifold wisdom that it's all about Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name. Please come forward for prayer. Remember, there's baptism after the service today. If you want to be baptized, and come and let our team just help you with that. But let us pray with you. Come and allow the Spirit of God to just move in your life and reveal the Lord Jesus. Amen.